We are still in the very, very early days of crypto. That means the potential upside is enormous, but it also means we're still in the Wild West era. That's why Real Vision is launching the Crypto Academy to stand for quality in an arena that's full of noise. To find out what we're doing and be one of only 1,969 people who will get lifetime access, yes, lifetime access, rather than having to pay an annual subscription, visit realvision.com slash learning crypto. That's realvision.com slash learning crypto. Click on the link in the description. How low can they go? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Greg Weldon, CEO of Weldon Financials. Hi, Greg. It's great to have you back on. Thanks, Maggie. My pleasure. So we're looking at a situation where U.S. stocks selling off once again, the S&P and NASDAQ both off over 1%. Looked like the NASDAQ tried a, a little tiny bit of a comeback, moved off those lows, but kind of slid back down here right at the close. Mm -hmm. Both of them are down 10% from their July highs. Um, companies, in particular tech, really seem to be having a hard time delivering the kind of knockout earnings that investors want to see. What do you make of when you look at the selling we've seen in equities? Well, I think this is kind of what we expected, to be honest with you. If you remember the last time I was on, we discussed this, how you probably have this kind of relief rally or celebratory rally in the summer when the realization is inflation is coming down. The Fed's probably going to be into a pause mode, and that would be good for stocks. And everyone, you know, you're close to new highs. You can push this thing higher. But then I said, look, maybe you make new highs, but maybe you don't. But either way, come the fall, you're looking at an economic reality check. And that's exactly how we said it. And to the degree that we also said the place to be was, was Infotech, the high flyers, until it wasn't. All right. It's kind of one of these things like to get out. Well, when you start to see energy towards the end of July, kind of pick up the allocations in some of our quantitative models. You saw crude oil break out, gasoline too. And it was a dynamic where, you know, uh, it, you see the shift in the in the rotation in what was already a very narrow breadth. I mean, last time we were on, it was like, you know, we'd break it down by all the stocks in the S&P 500 and then in the sectors. And within the, within the sectors and within the top stocks, there was only 30% uh, of stocks that were in bullish trends versus 20% that were in bearish trends. And this is when you were rallying and not that far from new highs. Right now, you've completely flipped the switch. You're 50% bearish trending stocks right now against less than 20% bullish trending stocks. The infotech has broken down. And not only that, what's really interesting to me is semiconductors, we're the leaders, you know the names, we talked mm -hmm. about it last time. And it was like, you get kind of this little political dynamic. And all of a sudden, when you know semiconductors, not only breaking down themselves on their own merit, below the two-year moving average, for example, violating near-term trend lines. But the semiconductors are breaking down against the XLK Infotech ETF and against the S&P 500. And when the leaders start to break down and you see that leadership start to fade, that's a bad sign. So we have expected this decline and we expect it to go further. Yeah, that was my next question. It sounds like you feel like this has momentum. So what levels are you looking at? How ugly could this get? Well, I don't want to get too ugly because, you know, we don't want to be a gloom and doomer all the time. I think there's a lot of opportunities out there still. But at the same time, you have a market that has not come to grips with the economic dynamic as you head towards a recession. And a lot of people want to say, we just had a great GDP number and the economy hasn't rolled over yet. And the labor market, you know, is shown some signs of softening, but it too hasn't rolled over yet. And I would counter by saying, look, 
when you can't start to time out the timeline from when the Fed started raising rates because the Fed was so far behind the inflation curve when they started raising rates. It's not even funny. The real uh, Fed funds rate was deeply negative, about the most stimulative it's ever been, frankly. Hmm. Really, only in May did the Fed catch up to the inflation curve. In June, you're finally starting to post a real Fed funds that's positive. All right. Our star, 310 pages of white papers they published in 2018, tells us everything we need to know. 50 basis points is neutral. We need to be somewhere above that. They want to be restrictive. So what does that mean? Well, finally, in June, July, they got restrictive. You got 100 basis points. Now, you're about 175 basis points right now above the rate of inflation. They're restrictive right now. So, But when you time that out, it's only like five months they've been restrictive. So you can't expect the economy to have rolled over. We certainly see the preliminary signs. Housing's crashed. Mortgages have crashed. And you're now seeing in the consumer. When banks started to tell you we have to have more loan loss reserves, write-offs, credit cards, we've talked about all that all year that it was coming, and now it's here. So this recession is still maybe a few months away. It really hits the first half of next year. And I think the stock market has not dealt with that yet. Yeah, well, which, which is not bode well. Do What about the treasury market? Has the treasury market, what does that mean uh, for treasury rates? Uh, that's a really good question. That's the kind of a $64 million question right now. I, I, I look at it this way. I think the Fed is on pause and they don't want to raise again. The big question for the entire, all the markets and the treasury market specifically is this. We know the base effect brought inflation down. We talked about this months and months before inflation started falling. I even think I said on the show, you probably go to four and you might see a three handle. You got a little lower than I thought. You saw a three handle, kind of exactly what we expected. It's easy math to do when you compare energy prices versus where they were a year ago, food prices where they were a year ago. Commodities are very simple to kind of calculate. We have the reverse base effect kicking in now. So if what if you saw inflation without really much of anything changing, maybe you could have a little bit higher oil prices. They're coming down now, which is something we think is going to happen in the near term, but not in the longer term. So say you get a month or two from now and you have the base effect kicks in on energy again. What if inflation goes to 5%? Now the Fed's neutral. You've obliterated their restrictive policy. So that's where the idea comes from that maybe they got to go to 7%. That's the math behind that thought process that appeared, you know, maybe whatever it was, six, eight weeks ago. That's why. And that is a real possibility. Then the question becomes, does the Fed willing to ignore that, okay, because the economy is cracking big time and the stock market's down. I said on this show too, not to kind of, you know, continue to repeat that, but we said that I didn't think that the Fed wanted to even begin to speak dovishly until two things happened. Number one, eradicate the easing priced into the back end of the Fed fund strip. You've done that, all right? Mm -hmm. The Fed funds for next year, the D24 Fed funds, was at below 3% at one point earlier in the year, all right? That's up to five now. So that's, you know, job one done. The second thing is disinflation in commodities and the stock market. So now we're going to see some of that too. And I think, the, you know, the dollar going higher, you have a lot of international concerns. We're so centrically focused here on the U.S. Mm -hmm. What's going on in Asia is highly disturbing. We could get into that, but, you know, it's kind of off the beaten track. But there's a lot going on there, oh, too. Yeah. Well, not for in terms our of emerging market currencies, yeah, you have a crisis a of, going on. We got a lot of global. Uh, if, if Brian wants to put the map up, we have, we have <laughs> our members are all over the place. Yeah. Um, 
And if you're listening on YouTube, you're not part of that membership. So move over so we can get yeah. you on the globe and you can participate in all of these conversations. So I do want to get to that. Let's 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 stick with sort of this part of the conversation first, but we'll put a pin in the those Asian economies. So they want to go back there. So um unclear. It sounds like you're saying it's a little unclear what happens to yields from here. And there's a potential if we see that yeah. uh sort of blip back up in inflation for them to to kind of make another run before they peak. How are you thinking about the treasury issuance and all of that as well? Well, that's the other side of the coin here. Okay. So, you know, the inflation thing is one thing. And, you know, I think that what this does is it kind of gives you a chance that the short end has seen the highs. Mm -hmm. And if you get in a situation where stock market is down and inflation goes up and the Fed even talks about hiking, well, or talks about not hiking, then you could see the long end go up because they're acquiescing to higher inflation at the same time. What I think for right now for treasuries is curve. We said this maybe you know two months ago. The curve would start to uninvert and then begin to steepen. And that's what we're seeing. You see the, the two-year note has not been able to really stick above 5%, 5.10 at all. You see the SHY, which is the short-term treasury ETF, has like a quadruple bottom over a two-year period, really holding in there. So I think there's possibilities that the short end holds and could even rally if the if the you know stock market does what I think it's going to do, then the question is, does the bond market react to that, or does the bond market react to the uh, the blowout, completely uh, you know just irresponsible fiscal picture we're facing? All right, I just did the numbers on the latest budget that came out last week, end of September, end of the fiscal year. It's a nightmare. It's totally unsustainable. So not only that, but you have fiscal easing working against the Fed's tightening, too. It's another reason why the economy's kind of persisted a little longer than we might have thought. Let's not forget that. But I do think curve steepening is probably the safest bet right now in the Treasury market in terms of you know what the longer-term picture is for bonds. I would say longer-term, you have the end of a 40-year downtrend of lower lows and lower highs in bonds and inflation. That has turned. At some point, the Fed will have to acquiesce to higher inflation. At some point, not the next step, but two steps out, you'll probably see them go to a range of two to four percent, or you know, one to three percent, or something that lifts the bar a little bit on inflation. And that's when the bond market has trouble. Let alone the debt. It's insanity. All right, I'll give you one. That what we call I called the picture. I called the piece we did on the budget on Monday. Uh, we titled it around Albert Einstein where he says, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, right? Now, I would say in the Fed's case, in the Treasury's case, and kind of the, even the economy's case, insanity is completely the opposite. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same result, that we can keep reflating our way out of this. Yeah. And we can if we're willing to pay $100 for a loaf of bread. So there's a fine line there. And I wouldn't want this job. I'll say, you know, we, we try not to be too critical of the Fed, because it's like Nick Walenda walking across the high wire in Niagara Falls. I mean, you bounce deflation too far, you're off. Inflation too far, you're off. It's a lose-lose proposition. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, with a, with a very difficult set of circumstances in Washington to deal with, and we're moving into an election year, so it's not like cooler heads are going to prevail. No. You know, we've been uh, distracted by all this politics now as we're heading into what is, and we've talked about this too, China, Russia, OPEC. China brought Iran and Saudi Arabia together, Shiites and Sunnis. I mean, come on. Do we not see what's going on, the new axis of, of power in, in the other side of the world who has a manifest destiny outlook in terms of you know the Maoism that is Xi, essentially? 
And uh, I think that what's happening in the Middle East is going to pop off in a, so much a bigger way that it's a massive risk. And I'm just shocked at how complacent the markets are and how everyone seems to think ceasefire, ceasefire it hasn't even started yet. What are you talking about, ceasefire? So yeah. I, you know, I kind of get the complacency. It is very interesting. The markets have been extremely, extremely calm against the backdrop um for we're, we're we're you know we have such limited time here we're gonna we're gonna pivot right back to to what the markets are going to do but but just for those who are interested um first of all we're going to drop links to greg's work and where you can find it consistently um in the chat and in the description so you can find um his thoughts there and as our members know, Raul just sat down with D. Smith for a very long geopolitical conversation. I just sat down, um, or uh, about a week or ten days ago, with Peter Zion to speak to him about geopolitics. You can find both of those, of course, on our platform. Um, and also, we we um, unleashed Peter's um, now on YouTube as well. So go ahead and have a look at those. Really interesting. We want to hear your comments and thoughts, but there's a lot to take in on your, uh, to your point, Greg, right now. It's a very, very complex geopolitical situation, but you layer on that, the complexities that we're facing from a macro point of view um, mm. with this, like, are we in a new regime or not new regime? So we may not have seen the peak in treasuries. We're really caught between the economic fundamentals and, and all of this issuance and the sort of politics of what's happening in Washington. And if we look at equities, I'm curious where you think sentiment is because, and I'm going to, we're going to play a clip here. We had this, um, because of what happened last year, this feeling and the enthusiasm around AI and some of the rev technological revolutions that we know are coming. We've been talking about them all week in, in our Exponential Age series. Um, and we know that they feel real and tangible. We spoke to Andy Constant yesterday. He was making some interesting points about why he's really skeptical we're going to see people come in and either buy this dip on these tech names or performance chase, which was a lot of people are kind of holding out for and thinking might happen into year end. Let's listen to what he said and we'll talk on the other side. If you look at NVIDIA and you don't buy into AI, and I think there's a significant portion of people that believe it's hype, just because it's up, I don't think you're gonna likely chase that particular stock for performance because it's so, antithetical to the reason why you haven't owned it for the whole year. Yeah. And so I'm concerned about performance chasing in that in that narrow group. And so if you don't have performance chasing and there's plenty of taxable losses to offset taxable gains, all the things that are typically drivers for that seasonal effect just don't exist this year. And so I've been saying Santa's dead for about a month now. And um, I think that's going to disappoint a lot of investors. I wouldn't be surprised at all if the S&P is unchanged for the year. Of course, that was Andy from yesterday. And I, I, I love all of speaking to all of you who come on, Greg, because I think you all bring just a different point of view that we don't hear all the time. So when you're looking at this, how are you feeling about sentiment right now? Does it also feel like maybe that year-end push, that Santa rally that everybody looks for is maybe not going to appear this year? How are you feeling about sentiment of what you're seeing happening under the hood of the market? Well, under the hood's a good way to put it, because when you kind of look at the internals, what you're seeing is liquidation and the kind of liquidation we haven't seen since 2008. I mean, mm. you can I mean, you can really simplify this uh, to give to make my point. OK, you take utilities and consumer staples. 
These are defensive sectors where you might see some rotation of capital out of Infotech and into these places. Like, but what we see there is the kind of volume is skyrocketing. All right, the unbalanced volume is dropping like a stone. You're taking out trend lines to go back to 2008. And I like to watch the 52-week and the two-year, 104-week exponential moving averages for long-term trends. They have been bullish since 2010 on both of those, the XLU and the uh, XLP. Um, and they're turned to the bear side now with huge volume, with OBV dropping. This smells of liquidation. And if this catches on in a broader way, it'd be really interesting, especially if all the other things play in and bonds don't rally and the inflation does go up and the Fed doesn't talk actually because they told us pain is coming and here it is. You're going to have to accept a little pain. So I could easily see this kind of turn into something more significant, serious, and frenzied towards the end of the year. Absolutely. It kind of feels that way to me. It looks that way to me. We talked before about a lot of similarities in the patterns with 1987 as mm. it relates to bonds and as it relates to the straight up pattern of the stock market. Uh, there's a lot of similarities. Now, I don't think it's going to crash. I think this is a slow bleed where it gets these rallies and everyone gets excited and it just doesn't work out. And, you know, is the Fed going to be quick enough? Probably not. Is the Fed going to be forceful enough when they need to be? Probably not. And uh, we'll see what happens. But liquidation to me, a, a kind of liquidation we haven't seen in almost 15 years appears to be right here in front of us right now. Mm, I'm going to let that sink in for a second. I <laughs> joked in the chat before we came on. Is it Friday yet? <laughs> I'm feeling <laughs> like it needs to be Friday, people. Well, All I'll right. tell you, okay. when you're up at 12 o'clock at night and you go to bed at 8 o'clock at night, you know, it's like one long day. The whole week is a single day <laughs> these days. I swear to God. It's so true. It's so true. I no, love this stuff. But Otherwise. listen, it's like, it, this is, it's very important because people are, you know, we always try to test that condition to buy the dip. And for people yeah. who missed out on tech, super important to hear those cautionary words for you. So I really want everyone to let that sink in. Oh, yeah. Like it, that worked when you had a 40-year downtrend in inflation and interest rates. You don't have that now. So right there is a suggestion that caution is probably the, the better part of valor right here. And yeah. the near term, medium term even. So, so what is there? Any, we we talked about trying to find opportunity. So, does the opportunity feel like you want to be shorting stuff, or are there things you like in this environment that you think will outperform? Both. I mean, so one of the things we're doing in one of our newer products that we've talked about, our, our portfolio dynamic, is you know taking a, a like a CTA approach or taking a hedge fund approach and using ETFs to allow people that. You know, it's going to be increasingly harder to keep pace with the debasement of money as they're going to have to print more and more. It's what they're going to do. So as this plays out, and if you don't have the wealth effect in stocks, that's a problem. And in terms of keeping pace so that your money still buys you what it used to, probably not going to happen, but you're going to try. And you're going to have to be more nimble, more diversified, and do things you haven't done before. Like one of our portfolios right now, we're long the dollar through the dollar up ETF. We're long the short end of the curve through the SHY. All right. We are long, we have cash, we're 10% cash, but it's in Bitcoin, not the dollar. We're also long gold, we're long energy, uh, and we are short the S&P 500 through the bearish ETFs, which I'm not a huge fan of them. They're very tricky, they're kind of dangerous sometimes, but I think, you know, of the times that they have value, right now is one of those times. And uh, I prefer futures all the time because they're quick, they're liquid, you're in and out, you you know, there, you have no issues around dividends and, you know, uh, all the things they do with ETFs to kind of mess them up mm -hmm. in terms of the flow. They don't reflect the underlying as well as they should, this kind of stuff. From a futures perspective, it's short certain currencies, it is short the stock market, 
It is basically long gold, long energy, and long as a bunch of select food commodities. Okay, and we had some people asking about those commodities. Um, and by the way, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna put Greg's work in. It's super detailed on this portfolio construction, and we're talking about sort of doing something on that, Greg. So we'll circle back because this is we keep hearing sixty forty is dead. Are you also feeling like that sort of traditional construct of portfolios is over with right now and that you've got to 100%. rethink what, what I say doing? is buy and hold is dead. I mean, it's just this, the whole thing. It's not even 60, 40. It's a bigger picture is dead. And again, 40, you know, 40 year trend that's over and in, you know, become increasingly difficult mathematically for the, you know, for official to keep this thing floating. It's that simple. Mm. So uh, you like energy, though. So what what in energy? Do you like it in the equities? Do you prefer it in the actual commodities space? And is it oil? Is it nat gas? Is it a mix of things? How are you thinking about energy? I, I, yes. Yes, yes, to yes. All of that. <laughs> <laughs> I like to have a little piece of everything when we're like this. So, yeah, we have the XLE. I like the gasoline refiner shares best. And, of course, this little merger activity hasn't hurt that play, to, in my mind, you know, at least in the longer term. Uh, I do like crude oil. Uh, I like uranium, URA, and some of the, you know, Cameco. Uh, mm -hmm. We talked about that, I think, last time I was on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also like natural gas here, too. You have a supply surplus, and, you know, this is an issue. But it is starting to shrink, and you're going into the season here now, and, you know, you have a little bit of a cushion, but you don't have huge margins for error around the world to the degree. If you get really cold weather, I mean, and yeah, of course, really cold weather, natural gas goes up, but it's so low now that I think all the bad news has been discounted. And I think that if you have a, a cold snap, this thing could be explosive. It could be $6 on natural gas. And then you start to talk about the base effect in natural gas, which got crushed last year through the, through the winter into February. So that would add to the inflation dynamic right there as well, electricity and the whole nine yards around that. So I think natural gas is a play, not yet, but it will be, I think, at some point going forward. And let's not forget, when we talk about things like, oh, we're going to get a really cold winter, right? We talked about El Nino last year, you know, I mean, in March when it first started coming. Now it's affecting food, food commodities and crops all over the world. And I think that same vein, the polarization of the energy on this planet, I get really scientific with you, I won't because it'll bore most people. But the science is, the polarization is real. It will continue to intensify. And from that perspective, you got to be prepared for outrageous things to happen. And we're seeing some of that, you know, we've seen some of that recently. And I think a cold winter would be a big risk because I don't think people are thinking about that, paying attention to it. Natural gas is off the radar. So that yeah. would be one that I think could be a surprise. It's not like- Yeah, we have that, and we have that recency bias, right? We always talk yeah. about that, but it was really mild last winter. Yeah. And so all those fears didn't come true. Yeah. It's a whole new game, right? Yeah. And we just, by the way, to your point on extremes, for anyone who's sitting in the U.S., while we were worried about a, you know, any of the number of horrible headlines that were getting hit with left and right, a Cat 5 slammed into Acapulco in Mexico, seemingly out of nowhere. But it really wasn't you know, that forecast. It intensified so quickly because of the temperature of the water. So, you know, I mean, it's just fraught when you're looking at the potential for natural disasters. Ralph had asked um, your thoughts on that guess, which we just talked about. What about corn, wheat? Uh, and base metals. He's covering all the commods. So, sure. Um, base metals, I mean, I want to like base metals, and I like them a lot when the inventories were low, but the inventories are rising, and that's a sign right there. All right, so the swaps have collapsed. Copper's breaking down. Nickel's at a new low, so I don't like them here. I'm actually short copper. It's kind of more of a, you know, medium-term position. Um, I'm not crazy about being short any commodities, per se, 
Uh, but right now, I think the, the base metals look bad and the fundamentals you know, are such that the inventory increase is enough to spook people. But I would say at the same time, inventories are up a lot, but they're up from you know historically low levels. So keep that in mind. And I think the economic thing could really you know, exacerbate rather the downside for the base metals. In terms of grains, I mean, I like soybeans here. I think, you know, the USDA is notorious for trying to maintain a balance in soybeans. And when you have a hit like we just got, they cut the yield estimate, so you have lower production, all right? So what do they do? Well, of course, they cut exports because that way they bounce out some of that bullishness. They don't want to give a bullish crop report with soybeans still trading around $13. I think, you know, at $13, I think there's value in soybeans. It's probably a patience trade. But uh, El Nino in South America, again, opens up the risk. And in a, a commodity like soybeans, as opposed to wheat or corn, which there's you know ample enough supplies for right now, does not have ample supplies. It's a thin margin in soybeans mm. where you don't have margin for error. You get any kind of crop problems in South America, could be explosive in the bean complex. Sugar is another one, big time. They cut, it's a 21% decline in ending stocks. They cut the stocks to usage ratio just, it was I think it was last week in the USDA's crop report, significantly. And it's like a big miss. So love sugar, even though it's high, I think 30, 36 cents is, is in the future of sugar. And it's trading around right now around 26, 27. I would add cotton as another one. Above, above 91 cents, cotton is a buy. You have Brazil just did an audit of their cotton supplies and they just realized, hey, it's kind of like when JP Morgan realized instead of nickel in the warehouses, we got rocks. Uh, <laughs> Brazil all of a sudden realized we have 10% less cotton than we thought we had for the last 20 years. So there's a 10.8% haircut to ending supplies of cotton. And you have a situation here in the U.S. where the crop is a little lower than expected. So, And cotton, again, is one of those commodities gotten crushed. And uh, I think the bad news is worked in, and there's a lot of upside room in some of these commodities, those in particular. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I love it. And, and we all sit here as we're listening to, um, you know, really understanding that we're listening to a really experienced trader because we marvel that you guys can just pull these levels out of your head because I know you know the charts so well. It's actually extraordinary to sit here in real time. Uh, Ralph asking what you think of cocoa. Is that on your radar love at all? It. Yeah, I really like cocoa. I mean, Ghana's having all kinds of problems. I mean, that's number one producer. El Nino is a major factor there too. Uh, demand is actually higher, which is somewhat surprising, but not really. I mean, I'm a chocolate fanatic. So um, as long <laughs> as there's not lead in the chocolate, what is this lead in Hershey bars all of a sudden? Where did that come from? I, that's the first I've ever heard of it. I've been eating Hershey bars since I was a kid. My dad was an accountant and he uh, handled the Hershey Foods account for Arthur Anderson back in the oh, day. There you had, you had so, the inside track. But uh, yeah, I really like cocoa a lot. That's another real positive one on the on the screen. Real, uh, really interesting question. It's um, It's a little bit sort of, you know, we'll just have to see if this is something you do, but I'm going to ask anyway, do you track anything in the private markets? And if you don't, do you, or do you worry about strains showing up there? Because there's been some concern that if something breaks, it's not going to be in the investment banking area this time because of all the regulation. It's going to be something in the private markets because that's where all the excess was. So either do you like an, an investment in the private markets or are you worried about anything there? Well, what, explain to me exactly what you mean when you say private markets. I don't know. Kirk uh, put in the message. <laughs> Kirk, tell us what exactly what you mean. That could have a pretty broad range of meanings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll find out if he's anything okay. specific. But do you yeah. worry about any strains showing up there? Because that's something that comes up from time to time. I worry about strains everywhere when it comes to credit because- you know, I think one of the things to keep in mind, too, is that, 
you know, Jerome Powell is a, you know, he's a, his, his hero is, is Paul Volcker. And if you look at the things Paul Volcker said in 1978, what Jerome Powell has said in the last two years, they're exactly the same, except for one thing. Paul Volcker was very careful to say, we don't want a credit contraction. Uh, Jerome Powell said, we need a credit contraction. You get a, you watch what you ask for, you just might get it kind of scenario. So in that case, you start to worry about credit default swaps and all the things that kind of tie in even to what probably you mean by private markets would apply. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm very worried about that stuff. And you can talk about even derivatives, all right? It's people have forgotten about banks and derivatives. Yeah, they've come down a lot since 2008, still above $200 trillion worth, all right? Dollar debt above $300 trillion. So yeah, I worry about a lot of things out there. There's a lot of landmines. Yeah. And not again, not to be a gloomer and doomer because there's always opportunities. But I think when it comes to paper assets, uh, it's more dangerous now for sure. And it will be uh, as pretty much in the foreseeable future. Yeah. Well, it's Warren Buffett called derivatives weapons of mass destruction, right? I yeah. always remember that from way back when well, it, it comes up. Exactly. It kind of never goes away. We we, we didn't get to, and I want to finish up on um, worries about the Asian economy. So yeah. um Emerging markets sometimes comes up as a thing people like in this environment because they feel so bearish about the U.S. You see trouble in Asia. What is it that you're focused on? I see emerging markets being polarized, too, because you got the emerging markets like Brazil or South Africa or certain uh, countries that have trade with China in resources. So those countries are on one level. Then you have the ones that have other types of trade or are actually, you know, are net importers themselves. All right. So we got data this week on Singapore and Indonesia. Why does Indonesia matter and why is it telling? I think it's telling because you can see this in a lot of other places, all right, what's happening in Indonesia. The Bank of Indonesia just raised the interest rate to 6%, 25 basis point hike. Inflation has gone from 8% to two and a quarter. So they're hiking rates with inflation at two and a quarter. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but their target range for inflation is two to 4%. So they've, they've had a, they could claim victory, no one should claim, but they could claim victory over inflation and they're still hiking rates. That he said, why are they hiking rates? They don't want the currency to get loose and restoke inflation. The problem with that is Indonesian exports down double digits year over year, six months in a row. Singapore down 11 out of the last 12 months. I mean, and these currencies are on the precipice. I mean, the Indonesian rupiah has already broken down. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, it's kind of, it just seems like, why are you raising rates? You have inflation under control. You're worried about the currency, yet your exports are falling at double digits rates. Maybe a little bit of a bump in the currency might help the economy. No, yeah. they're still more worried about inflation. So what if that kind of mindset is what the Fed comes in, you know, two, three months from now? So that's why I like paying, paying attention to places that a lot of people don't think matter because they do matter. And they give you tells in a bigger picture as to what could happen in other places. Absolutely. And I think Singapore would be a major country in Asia if they had a problem then you'd be talking about it. It's a major financial center. Remember when yes. Hong Kong light, they took a lot of the business from Hong Kong. Um, and so that would be worrying if you saw a hit um, for a major financial center yeah. in Asia. And that's where a lot of times these problems come up someplace yeah. like that. Not to yeah. say it will be Singapore. I'm sure they have a lot to say about that. But and um, by the way, you'll see this intensify if you get the dollar index above 107.30. Well, this is it. This is, the, this is the consequence of that runaway dollar, right? That we often yeah. talk about the dollar wrecking ball. Um, Greg, such great stuff. We always love when we have you on. Thank you so much. I mean, the, the amount of stuff we got through in 30 minutes is kind of extraordinary. Yeah. We appreciate you so much for that. My pleasure. I'm happy to contribute. You guys do a great job. You're helping people. That's what we're trying to do. Tell, you know, trying to even the playing field, although it's not evenable, but you know, just yeah. to give people a chance to keep pace because this is only going to intensify. That's, that's the message. Yep. And uh, you really need to be open to new ideas.
Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. Um, and like I said, um, we're going to drop uh, Greg's where you can find Greg uh, in the chats and all the comments. And as you know, we have the Academy online for everyone where you can really dig into the background. This is where you, you need to have a plan and a framework as things get hectic so that you're not just shooting from the hip. And we just dropped the Crypto Academy. Um, Raul's going to tell you more about that in just a few moments, but you can, members, you know, you have access, YouTubers, become members so you don't miss anything, but we do have a special thing they've arranged for you to try to um, find a way into the Crypto Academy. It's the first time we've done that. It's super cool because that's important. Greg and I didn't get even get a chance to talk about Bitcoin. We'll do that next time he's on. Thanks everybody. I'll throw, don't I'll throw in one thing real quick. Go Bitcoin ahead, do it. is breaking out on a long-term basis versus the S&P 500. Okay, so you think this is you think this is a time we should be paying attention to crypto? Uh, yeah, I think it's going to claim the highs back up near 48,000. Near term. Oh, all right. Near term. All right. Look out. Well, that gives us all the more motivation to dive in and make sure we understand what the heck we're all talking about. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about it tomorrow. Raul and David Matt are both going to be here for an AMA. So make sure you roll up with your questions. And like we said, if you are on the new platform, DM me if you have questions and I'll put them at the top of the list when we catch up with everybody. Thanks so much to Greg. Thanks to all of you for all the great, smart questions and chats. I love the hilarious conversation you were having about me in the chat. You're all really, really funny. Um, we'll see you all tomorrow. Take care and good luck out there. We are still in the very, very early days of crypto. That means the potential upside is enormous, but it also means we're still in the Wild West era. That's why Real Vision is launching the Crypto Academy to stand for quality in an arena that's full of noise. To find out what we're doing and be one of only 1,969 people who will get lifetime access, yes, lifetime access, rather than having to pay an annual subscription, visit realvision.com slash learning crypto. That's realvision.com slash learning crypto. Click on the link in the description.